Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast is brought to you by The Word magazine. Media partner of Latitude Festival 2010. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Well, it is. Uh, <laughs> well, do you know, I think that's a really it sensible is. suggestion. I think it is. Would you want, who's going to argue with that? Well, Bro, Dizzy Rascal. Oh, God, it's, it's nuts, but uh, we've had, I'll take we've it. We've had t- two occasions, one in this very room, when um, Thomas Walsh and his terrific group performed the song Age of Revolution. Uh, that's amazing. And I've, I'm going to say something really, really pathetic, actually. But both times I've, I was blinking very slightly, actually. Yeah, I think it. it's the most uh, extraordinary <laughs> song. And we had, a, we had all sorts of controversies in the office with that when, when we first mm-hmm. heard it, because Kate Mossman, our reviews editor who doesn't know very much about cricket, thought the line was, um, come and get your pants on, take your place. And so she obviously thought that the cricket started from the basic point of view with a load of naked men. Naked men. Who were then supposed to, very gradually, start well, It gives dressed. it a certain frisson. Of, yeah, uh, <laughs> come uh, and get your pants Excitement, on. yeah. <laughs> your pads. So we start, have we started recording, Frank? We've started recording. Right. This is the Word Magazine podcast. I'm David Hepworth. You are... Fraser Lurie. You are... Mark Allen. And you are... Neil Hannon. That's so exciting, that is isn't very, it? very, very... And has dropped in on his way to pick up an award. <laughs> well, the Ivan very much doubted, but uh, who are you, know, you up against? Uh, Paolo Nutini and Dizzy Rascal. Who he? Esquire. Hey, are, they, uh, are they both going to be I- I- in attendance? I hope so. I mean, I'm looking forward to sort of meeting the opposition. Uh, if the, what? If they're not in attendance, oh, I, an indication yeah, I know. <laughs> he said, rubbing his fingers together with glee. Uh, <laughs> so, have you got a speech prepared? Go on, in that pocket, no. you've got a speech. No. Um, I'd like to thank the jury uh, for being nuts enough to think that this record could possibly be judged in any category with anybody else. 
Uh, well, that's, that's ludicrously modest. Um, it's, or is it incredibly egotistical? Oh, I see. Oh, yes, there's no category as right for me. Exactly. Well, we shall, by the time yeah. you hear this podcast, we'll know whether, whether the Duckworth-Lewis mm-hmm. method of, of the Hooray! end of the year... Oh. Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> cover both. Take the temperature. Or whether it's some no-mark called, uh, you know, Dizzy Rascal. Somebody, Mr. Rascal. Mr. Rascal. Mr. Rascal. Paging Mr. Rascal. Him, yeah. But it's, it's delightful to have you here. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Uh, and uh, we, we've got Neil lined up with a Casio keyboard, which is kept in the advertising department. I don't know what they use it for. I think they do it to kind of uh, to keep themselves amused during the day. They celebrate when they've got a double-page spread from BMW. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 oh, is well, somebody coming in with a cup of tea right for Neil? Uh, so we're going to let in Nick Knack yeah. now to the... Uh, to the uh, while we are actually recording much. the podcast, Nick Knack, so Hello. moderate Hello. your usual <laughs> dis- difficult <laughs> language. Is, is Nick Knack your That's given right. name? Uh, no, that's my, my nickname. My name's Nicole. But, oh, um, right. It's the one that stuck for all. Uh, are you <laughs> pleased about this at all? <laughs> she's fine. She's fine. Yeah, you're fine with that? She's fine. She's, she's a doctor. She's like reconciled herself to that. Yeah. Fine. And, um, uh, but you know what? I'd have been terribly impressed with this keyboard when I was 17. Uh, this would have been the height of home, you know, recording technology. But Is that what you started off with? Did you, with this kind of kit? Uh, I had a sort of a Casio keyboard uh, in my mid-teens, uh, but I'd sort of basically borrowed it, so, uh, uh, stroke stolen it from my friend, John. Uh, and, you know, he, he kind of uh, tapped me on the shoulder about five years later and said, uh, can we have it back? <laughs> and, uh, I thought, oh, all right. Yeah. But uh, it brings back the old memory. But is that where you started composing on, keyboards, rather than guitar? Uh, I, I guess I started uh, writing things on uh, the piano in the in the sitting room, you know, and um, it was very definitely the the triad, uh, the ELO triad. Oh right, go on, give us a demonstration. <laughs> oh, let's hear that. Yeah. Give us a demonstration of where you started. Well, uh, for electric light orchestra, it just goes like that, you know, double octave in the left hand, major triad in the right hand, and it's all like that pretty much. I think. Apart from the odd minor chord. <laughs> they would hate to see their great works reduced. Reduced. <laughs> simple formula. You, you're so right. Can you remember the first song you wrote? Well, I didn't really write it as such, but I imagined it. It was a song called Digital Watch, which was all the rage, you know, in those days. It was the height. So when of, are we talking uh, about now? I think that would have been when I was about eight or nine. Yeah, sort of 78, 79. Right, okay, right. Can you give us, a, give us a chorus of Digital Watch? Well, if... To be honest, it was all in my mind. So I'd, I, it was something to do with uh, walking down the street, want to know the time, looked at my wrist, I've got a digital watch. It rises to a punchy chorus. <laughs> Catchy. <laughs> Infectious. So yeah. it never got any further than no, that. No, I it played it with my tennis mind. racket. Uh, right, yes, OK. But I did most of my best compositions yeah. with my tennis racket. I just you did one of your compositions in the shower. I was watching the other night at the Tabernacle mm, in London's mm. W11, Swinging District. In fact, yeah. we talked about this last week, I think, on the podcast. And you composed one song with standing on the left foot. Isn't it's, it? it's only my only shower-based... Uh, song. Um, <laughs> I I was in the shower, and I don't know whether it's a kind of a sign of age or something, but I was trying to clean between the toes of my right foot, and I was finding it very difficult to balance on my left foot. <laughs> I thought, this is all wrong. I, of course I can stand on one leg. You know, can you stand upon one leg? And it sort of went from there, really. I put a towel around myself and rushed to the piano, dripping on the keys, and finished the song in about an hour. I was very pleased with it, really. It's a very silly song. It's a very fantastic song. Give us a bit of the song. Oh, gosh. Uh, 
Right, I think it's in C sharp. Um, can you stand upon one leg? It's harder than you think. <laughs> if you can do it without falling down, you can do just about anything. Go on, see if you can. <laughs> See how long you can stand on one leg. There we go. It's fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Musical. Isn't it? Is are, they, are they mostly... Actually, it's a, it's a terrible generalisation, but are they mostly autobiographical songs or, or songs based on real experiences? I think it's all mixed up together, to be honest. I mean, um, I once saw the, 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 that prophet of song, Mark... No, uh, Paul King... Uh, you know, of uh, Paul King. King of King. Oh, we know him well. Yeah, yeah, we know him. I think he was on Saturday Superstore, and he said, "You know, if I'd actually experienced everything I'd written in the songs, I'd have been in a mental asylum by now." And I thought that was a very telling a, comment, a very, know? very yeah. good response. So uh, I, I no, uh, it's it's a bit of everything. Uh, I suppose some things are more sort of heavily based in uh, reality than others, but I, it's it, and it's not even one song is autobiographical and one song isn't. It's just all mixed up together. I always wanted to know whether the anyone listening who knows the, the Divine Comedy song, The Happy Goth, oh, yeah. uh, will share my enthusiasm for this masterpiece. <laughs> but I always wanted to know whether that's... Because the whole idea of the song if, 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 is, is that it's, it's, a goth, it's a goth girl. She's, her clothes are blacker than the blackest cloth. Her face is whiter than the snows of Hoth. I, think I know. Right? <laughs> well, I was really so dredging the bottom of the rhyming barrel. That's not. Hoth is brilliant. It's all about this great heavy crucifix she wears. But deep inside, she's a happy goth. It's this idea that, that actually, you know, it, she's putting on this terrible well, exactly misery. that you know uh, I'm miserable because it's like you know the Morrissey line that um, I wear black on the outside because black is how I feel on the inside uh, so it's like you're happy to actually be able to exude uh, the way you feel you know that that makes you happy even if it's melancholy oh, I see I think yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I was driving <laughs> was there a real person very, very logical was there a real person behind that song um I suppose it, it, it had a lot to do with my uh, then-wife, Orla, who uh, was very definitely a, a, a goth uh, when she was younger. You know, she, she actually went to all four nights of Cure in Wembley Arena when they played. That shows commitment. Disintegration tour, you know. Oh, my God. And, and openly wept. Openly <laughs> wept. Did she sit around on war memorials looking oh, moody? Totally. Yes. Yeah. Drinking cider. <laughs> yeah, drinking cider. There's a, there's a, there's a tune on your uh, new record, Bang Goes the Knighthood, which is uh, about the indie disco, and mm. uh, which I love. And we, we've been asking for people's tweets, uh, questions to put to you. And Susan Be- Beatty wants to know if your inspiration for indie disco came from your nights of the limelight in Belfast in the early 90s. that mean um, anything to you? Oh, it does, yeah. Um, gosh, was she spying on me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, to be honest, um, I only ever went up there to see a band. Uh, it was Ride, I think, I saw in there. Uh, and um, they were supported by therapy, bizarrely. Um, and... Uh, but I don't remember any particular indie disco happening. Perhaps it, it uh, happened on the other nights when I wasn't there, because I was from down the road, you know, in Fermanagh, like, uh, and this was a big trek to go to Belfast to, to see a band. Um, and then we played in there quite a lot in the early days, um, badly, 
have to say. So what gave you the idea of writing a song, The Indie Disco? Because I'm, I'm mm. always delighted to see people have written songs about things that needed writing about, that nobody has got there before. Yes, I That's agree. a good yeah, thing. I tick these things off <laughs> when yeah. people do them. Yeah. When people write songs about company cars, or yeah, you know, yeah. things that are a fact of lots of people's lives. I know, and uh, I, I do Digital agree watches. that... that yes, uh, yeah. yeah. That, a lot of people seem to sort of unnecessarily narrow their field of vision when it comes to songwriting, and I'll write about anything, as is obvious. Um, but, uh, no, I never went to indie discos as a kid because there weren't any in Fermanagh. Uh, but I've heard a lot about them. And, um, <laughs> and also, I guess, after, after gigs in various venues around the, Europe, you know, they have put on indie discos afterwards, and I have uh, drunkenly... Uh, bobbed around to Primal Scream and the like. Um, and I've, you know, heard lots of hearsay evidence on the can, subject. You can't give us a snatch of that, can you? Uh, I certainly can. Yeah. I love that song. <clears throat> we go down to the indie disco every Thursday night. Dance to our favourite indie hits until the morning light. At the Indie Disco The Indie Disco At the Indie Disco Yeah Just tell me when you get bored <laughs> We've got a table in the corner That is always ours Under the poster of Morrissey With a bunch of flowers <laughs> Drink and talk about stupid stuff Then hit the floor for tainted love You know I just can't get enough Of the indie disco The indie disco At the indie disco Yeah, I'm gonna do the next verse because I think it's important yeah. <laughs> Give us some pixies and some roses and some valentines And we're in heaven <laughs> Give us some blur and some cure and some wanna dies. We'll dance forever <laughs> And now we're moving to the beat And staring at each other's feet I wonder if she fancies me Oh. oh, nice. I love Fantastic. it. Fantastic. I, 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 I loved Fraser's excitement at the idea of dancing to Tainted Love. I, I, I <laughs> yeah. used to go to indie discos and dance to Tainted Love. I read a, a, a piece, an interview with Mark Armand this morning for publishing, actually, the next issue. And there's a brilliant bit in it where he, um, he talks about uh, being at a concert when he must have been about 13 and uh, managing to find his way to the front and touch David Bowie and shake his hand. <laughs> I love those electrifying moments. It must be, it must be thrilling for, for, for the David Bowies, too, I think. I Did you ever so. experience something like that? Did you ever... Uh, was there a, a, some major concert that you went uh, to you had, that had a, a life-shifting uh, effect on you? Sadly, it was you too. <laughs> oh, really? That's what was... Why sadly? Well, because uh, it's kind of... It was such an enormous tribal experience. You know, Irish kids. I, I was 16. Uh, we went to uh, the Joshua Tree Tour in Croke Park in Dublin. And, uh, yes. It was literally like, you know... Uh, and Lenny Riefenstahl uh, film, you know, it was 
we are all as one united in this great uplifting cause, you know. Um, and I look back on it with slight air of... You look at it almost a shame now. Not, a shame. Not, not shame, but, but a kind of slight goose pimply effect of embarrassment, you know. Yes, yes. Um, but, I don't know, I've been to great gigs since then. I mean... Uh, I doorstep Scott Walker, you know, I basically hung around outside a mastering suite until he came out and shook his hand, and that's all I needed in life, really. That's did you it. speak to him? I spoke to him. What did he say? I can't really remember. It was all a bit of a blur. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was something to do with, um, you know, thanks for sending me all your records, you know, and... Uh, Leave me alone. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, so, so you always liked Scott Walker when you were growing up? Not when I was growing up. I didn't really know of him. Uh, and I just sort of... It was an ac- accumulative kind of thing. You know, you, you read The Enemy, Melody Maker, and his name keeps coming up, in, uh, attached to various bands that you quite like. And Julian Cope and... Would you get released Arnold. an album called... Was it, it was called... Yeah. The F- Fire Escape to, to the, the Sky, sky The Godlike right. Genius of Scott Walker. I think it's <laughs> pretty say what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, it, but it was only, like, with the release of the Walker Brothers Best Of in, was it 1990, that I kind of went, I'm going to look into this. And sure enough, yeah, it, it, it totally... I can hear a note of it in the way you sing them. There's a, I, the, the melodrama of, of my it, ship it, is it coming really in. Su- I mean, to begin with, I couldn't do it, but practiced and practiced all the way through the 90s and gradually got the vibrato just right. That's right. I can, I can hear that. <laughs> but like Scott Walker, you work with orchestras. Yes. Um, I can't get enough of them, really. Right, because somebody's <laughs> asked about that. That, uh, you know, what are the particular... I'm tr- trying to find his name on my, on my tweets here. I'll find it in a moment. You know, what are the particular demands of working with an orchestra? What's different um, than setting out to make music with an orchestra? Well... They're incredibly expensive for a start. Um, Luke Tucker is the name. Luke Tucker. Well, Luke. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like a swap shop. Well, Luke. Thanks for calling, Luke. <laughs> I'm glad you asked me that. Oh, dear. Um, orchestras, uh, they're unwieldy, obviously, on stage. I mean, I've been to some of the gigs that we played with orchestras. Well, I mean, little sort of 25 to 30-piece orchestras. I think it's physically impossible. I don't know how we did that, but... Um, we did it. Uh, it was just, you know, youthful bravado, really. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, everybody else, I think, was really s- screwed up by being connected with the Britpop years and you know, all the drugs and everything. I spent all my money on orchestras. Right. You know? I didn't have time for all the, the, uh, the, the, the blizzards. <laughs> of, <laughs> you know? So all the money went today. But how did they look yeah. upon you? How do orchestras look on pop musicians? Um, the ones we had in the UK were fine. They're, they're very cool about it. Um, we've hired in orchestras, you know, in Europe, and I remember in, in every orchestra in Europe, there's always a couple of people who are going, oh, I should be, you know, in, in the concert hall playing Messiaen. You know, this is ridiculous. Uh, but they're taking our money, you know. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Sure. I remember there was a, a cellist, I think, in Geneva, and we told him after the rehearsal, just don't come to the gig. You know, we don't need a cello tonight. Why, why was he radiating he, such uh, negativity? Arsing around and and sort of how does a cellist arse around? Uh, just like t- s- telling jokes while the musical director is trying to you know tell them you know get, when we start at bar forty nine and they're going this. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't. <laughs> this is all hearsay. I was reminded the other. I didn't get this from Herbert von Karajan. I was reminded the other day. I don't know if it's forty years since or something like that. But somebody was quoting this on the radio that Frank, when Frank Zappa did uh, some concerts in London with 
some London orchestra, I better be careful not to name them in case I get the wrong one. And he described them as the, the most unprofessional bunch of musicians he'd ever worked with in well, his he life. Was, of course, frighteningly professional himself. I suppose so. Uh, yeah. Was he? We absolutely <laughs> can't Which is not what you'd expect when you looked at the mothers of invention. Yeah. <laughs> I know, exactly. But, uh, you know, classical musicians are not unknown for wanting a drink, aren't they? <laughs> occasion, especially yeah. the brass section. Oh, yeah. is, there, is that, that it? That is, it's like, uh, you know, the, the drummer gag. It's always the brass section that is kind of loutish and want to get to the pub as quickly as possible. Oh, so. You know, you know the, the, the reason for that? The, the research has proved that the, 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 the strain on the trumpeters who don't play all the time, like the string section, mm. the strain of waiting three entire movements and counting 27 <laughs> bars and hitting in, in absolute silence a top C on your own apparently is so terrible that they're, uh, oh, is that it? they're, oh, they're poor necking geez. a gallon straight <laughs> up to the gig. I think this is an area of music that's not examined enough. We've been talking about this in the office recently because I read the Louis Armstrong biography uh, Terry, by Terry Teacher, which is terrific biography came out recently and it very much you know Louis Armstrong's major uh, challenges were physical mm, mm. you know that, that going into concerts could he hit 24 top Absolutely. C's perfectly Absolutely. you know what I mean and could he preserve his lip yeah. while doing these things yeah, you don't think of this as being a they a always physical. go on about their lips you know um you know i'll do that for you in a moment you've got to give me five minutes because you know my lips are vibrating or something yeah <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <really> <laughs> <vibrating>. <laughs> uh, yeah and th- they always play really badly during the rehearsal but it's like you can't saving the moment you, oh, really? you can't say anything because apparently they're just saving it up for the for the real that's thing that's true i see that's true so there's a limited amount of stuff. Although the poor this. girl who was trying to do uh, the sort of the Marseillaise bits in Frog Princess on TFI Friday for us, she kind of really didn't make it during the live performance as well. <laughs> look it up on YouTube. It's oh, hilarious. Oh, we look for that. Had the drinking started early. <laughs> <laughs> the Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So am I right in saying that the last Divine Comedy record was on EMI? Yeah, uh, we did three records for Parlophone EMI. Um, and on the last couple, we 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 detected a certain air of uh, in, insouciance, a kind of a, a, a lack of you know real get up and go. <laughs> <laughs> Very delicately. Yeah. So um, after Victory for the Comic Muse was released, we said, uh, "Listen, do you really want us on your label?" And it sort of went away for a while. Came back and. No. <laughs> okay, we're we'll going there. Bye. Um, but you know that was fine because you know we were just jumping before we got pushed off the boat, really, because they had a massive clear out at that time. And um, you know, as a lot of people have uh, noticed recently, you know, if you're an established artist, it's really it makes a lot more sense to cut out the middleman and go directly to uh, your audience. You know. So uh, Divine Comedy Records is going swimmingly. We released uh, the Duckworth Lewis method on it, and it worked really well. Right. So, uh, And you haven't had to kind of cut your cloth, because the thing that struck me listening to this was, I know you can't say that records sound expensive, but mm. it doesn't sound as if you've suddenly done a cheap one as compared to the budget on a major label one. No, because I think... I've always sort of been quite happy to work within budgetary constraints, you know. Uh, I, I sort of see what I've got, and then I, I, I work within that. And, um, I mean, there's only orchestration on six out of the 12 tracks, so I was... Uh, but that wasn't really a financial concern. I think you kind of write knowing that at the back of your mind you can't go completely nuts on this one. <laughs> right. You know? So I kept it... Uh, within the bounds of reason. And obviously, you know, a, 
60-piece orchestra does not a great song make, you know? It's, it's really just up to how you want to uh, uh, beautify it, how you want to sort of uh, make it sound. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite... I mean, I'm touring this year by myself, just me and a piano. Well, as I say, I saw you playing just by yourself the other night, and I was really impressed by your understanding of, of sort of, I don't know what the word is really, stagecraft. Stagecraft. I mean, yeah. is that the right word? <laughs> it's a terrible word, stagecraft, because somehow calling it stagecraft makes it sound terribly cynical and manipulative. Yeah. But there was a bit in the, your show um, where you took this enormous risk, which obviously you do every night, because you talked about doing it in Germany, where, where, where you send your roadie out, out, I think, with a microphone mm. to invite people to, to, to suddenly tell a tell joke. A joke. In the middle of the song, and it seemed to work so effortlessly, as if as if everyone understood what they were expecting. Mm. To in do. the middle the of the clock, song. in the middle of the song, it's about three quarters of the way through, and then you leave well, this gap. Don't it's you? In Why don't you try this with you and Mark? Stand up on one Why don't you play it and Mark can tell a joke in the middle of it? Come <laughs> All right, on, you've seen okay. this process. Can, can we do that? Only one. How do you set this up? I guess so. Well, Is it doable? Um, I basically before the song, I say. Uh, now, I need a sort of really dumb schoolyard gag. Uh, All right. Oh, you've I'll come to the right man. Oh, well, I'll give you one yeah. now. Do you want yeah, to? No, no, don't tell <laughs> me now. I think I know okay. what's coming. <laughs> I'm going to do it in the first key, because I can't remember what key I'm in, because it goes up every It place. does, that's right. Okay. Um, so, can you tell a funny joke? <laughs> uh, one that makes you laugh out loud. One that makes the milk come out your nose If you know a funny joke, then tell it now uh, What kind of cheese can get a bear down from a tree? I don't know Come on, bear! <laughs> yeah, usually it goes Goodness. on a bit longer well, no, that. than that <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's yes, true That's not bad <laughs> I'm impressed <laughs> But there's one final test And then I do the verse about the incredibly long note. Uh, oh, yes, somebody was asking about the incredibly long note. Somebody on the Twitter was asking about incredibly long note. What's this? Um, on the end of that song, it just says, can you hold a singing note for a stupidly long time? And then I hold a, a note for 30 seconds. Oh, I see. Um, and with, with no technological help on the album, you know, this is real. And it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, oh, God. the uh, stagecraft is... is is really important, even in the simplest kind of presentation, isn't it? I went to see Randy Newman the other night in Newcastle, and of course, Randy Newman traditionally performs just him and a piano. Yeah, yeah. And it's a big old hall, you know. It's the it's the Sage in in Gateshead, enormous, great, beautiful concert yeah. hall. I've and seen him, and he's brilliant. He's yeah. just brilliant because, and I think he's got more brilliant at it as he's got older. Because mm. I think I don't think there's no worry about him. He doesn't look as if he's trying to ingratiate himself with you I at all. I don't think he cares anymore. Really, he's done everything he needs to do. You know, <laughs> I suppose so. Except he's always making jokes about how he'd like a little bit more acceptance, and oh, yeah. you know that he's not quite as famous as he ought to be. <laughs> doesn't tell as many records as he ought to be. Ought to do, but it it is the nerve to do. The quiet, introspective song, you know, mm. in between the two crowd pleasers, and to not feel at all that he's rushing it, that, you know, he has complete faith in the material. And I suppose it's a bit similar to what you were saying, I think, in last week's podcast, where Nick Lowe had told you about the um, how to sing a song. Oh, yes. That you've got to want to sing the yeah, song. Yeah, I'd had to be in this group who were going to sing on an outdoor stage at a festival. And I was actually, I've never done this before, and I was actually really, really terrified. I don't mind playing instruments, but oh, I was right. terrified. And he said, you've got to want to sing this song. 
if you don't want to sing it, no one's going to want to hear you attempting to sing it. Which I thought was quite this a good... This is a brilliant idea, yeah. except I'm looking back on how many thousand gigs where I thought, I really don't want to go But then again, you're being paid. <laughs> you probably do a lot more shows than Nick Lowe. You know... Uh, is he not a, a... I don't think he gigs that often, does he? No, but actually, there's a real similarity, and, and, and with Brandon Newman, and with your show the other night, that it's quite an intimate experience, because neither of you are major... Uh, flamboyant mm. projectors. It seems. It seems like you're drawn into looking over your shoulder as you play the piano. The things you said to the audience were like little asides. Actually, they were quite sort of uh, quite confidential. Right. I really like that. But you do the audience participation thing, which is interesting because again, man, Randy Newman does. Um, mm. And he played in London last night. He does. Uh, I'm dead, but I don't know it, which is <laughs> you know a song about about rock stars going on and on and on. Yeah. yeah. And he he involves the audience in the most basic kind of pantomime. Call them response, you know, Absolutely. where we, you know, there's 2,000 people on the stage going, you're dead, you're dead, you know. <laughs> and he rehearses it first yeah. before you do it, you know. Yeah, no, and they're perfectly happy to do it. I don't know whether uh, Ben Folds had learned from Randy Newman, but I learned a lot from going on the road with Ben. Oh, right, uh, go on. And, uh, you know, he did. He got the most amazing, like, two-part harmonies from the audience, you know. So over That's here, funny. you know, you're going to sing this, and then you're going to come in with this. And every night... They were brilliant, you know, and it just shows, you know, what people, they say they can't sing, it's rubbish. <laughs> I don't know. I saw a Decemberist show once where, you were there actually, Dave, uh, where the, oh, yeah. the, Colin Milloy divided up the audience to enact a piece of uh, American history from, from 1860, uh, dividing them into Confederates and <laughs> Unionists, and actually, some of them into Native American Indians. It was absolutely incredible. And they all, all joined in with enormous enthusiasm, and it worked very well. Mm. But it was, the audience just want to be let in, don't they? They yeah. want something yeah. to do. I think but then you can't force it either, and no. you have to judge it as you're there sort of seeing the looks on their faces. I mean, you know, uh, I was playing a, a small show in, in Leipzig recently, and uh, I'm not very well known in Germany. And also, you know, you can't really project your character very well when it, there's a language divide. Uh, and I got to the bit where I usually ask them to sing uh, the Frog Princess tune, the Marseillaise. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, this isn't going to work, is this, it? This, you know? this, this. They're not, they're not going to want to sing the French national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> not as hilarious as it is in England. Yes. Yeah. Not as hard as it would be getting the, no. the, the French to sing the German national exactly. anthem. Exactly. I moved on down the set list. <laughs> tell, what are the signs? I, 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 I interviewed um, a, a girl who used to be the lead singer of the group Sleeper the other day, Louise Wedder, and she talked about yeah. the experience of going out in front of them were supporting REM, uh, playing to 70,000 people. Mm. She said she had never experienced anything like hitting the first call on her guitar and seeing a physical wave of movement in front of her. <laughs> so it was the most extraordinary and powerful and thrilling thing, you know. God, I can imagine. I mean, what are the signs? That's clearly a sign that people are on board. Yeah, know? the funny thing is, you know, uh, in my late teenage years, I assumed by now I would be playing Stadia, you know, and I would be having that gut-wrenching reaction. <laughs> um, my career has gone in a staggeringly different no, direction. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean you were on that kind of... No, no. Yeah. But, I mean, it's funny. It's, I'm That's not what happens to with you, too. You see, I'm your expectations are I'm with, you know, where I am. And, uh, in fact, I really, I think I'd hate that now. Right. But, um, and I have, we've, we've supported REM, uh, in, in Lansdowne Road, you know, and it was a big kind of deal like that. And uh, I remember in Tea in the Park uh, playing to That's suddenly, huge. because suddenly the sun had come out and they all wanted to come to the main stage in the middle of the afternoon. It's like, 
oh my God, there's 20,000 people out there, you know, <laughs> just accidentally. Again, and, you know, we, we had a bit of that reaction to, like... Did uh, you change your set to... to no, uh, I just did extra big... Oh, dear. Sorry, I <laughs> hit the clothes rail. Uh, <laughs> extra big hand movements, you know, and uh, maybe I got a little bit more extrovert and I made the jokes a little more uh, universal. I don't know. I can't remember, to be honest. But Did it was a great Thanks feeling. for coming out yeah. at any point. Or... <laughs> More questions. This one from P.R. Vincent. Uh, and I, I have to assume he knows what he's talking about here. What did Queens of the Stone Age make of your splendid uh, folk reworking of No One Knows? What's the story there? Well, um, yeah, I did a, a sort of a, an arrangement of No One Knows, which I think is a brilliant song, you know. Uh, for when we played the Palladium... Um, in, uh, that would have been Absent Friends, about 2004. And um, I, I sort of made it into a German cabaret song, sort of interwar years, that kind of vibe, you know, very Kurt vibe. And um, I don't know, I kind of st- I strung this sort of weird story along uh, to begin with about sort of, I found this old 78 record on my leaf-collecting holiday in Bavaria, you know. <laughs> and it's staggering how many people believed me. Oh, <laughs> Sometimes I'm a little too dry for my own good, I think. Um, Anyway, uh, what was the question? The question was, uh, what did Queens of the Stone Age make of it? Did they get to know? I don't think they probably ever heard it. Could you play us a bit of that? I wish I could, but I can't. Was that too difficult to answer Well, uh, especially because it's gone off. Oh, it's gone off. Oh, it's great. It's a power switch. There we are. I've hit the power switch. That was a good call. I'm holding it. Stop it wobbling. Does that help? Yeah. I just don't know quite how it goes. It was like six years ago. It, but it was something like... Uh, we get these rules to follow How they stick in my throat <laughs> No one knows You know, that kind of thing. But uh, We're getting tremendous yeah. movement of the eyebrows during these sessions. Yes. We should all see... Yeah. Oh dear, they, is that coming back? Shooting together in uh, consternation. What, what sort of un, un rock and roll stuff do you listen to? I mean, do you, do you listen to things like well, Gilbert and what Sullivan? What rock and roll stuff do I oh, listen okay. to? Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Because um, you can detect kind of there, there light are, opera and things like that in, yeah, in, in um, some of your. It is wide ranging, I have to say. Uh, sort of, um, I guess, current fave is Paolo Conte, the Italian sort of jazzer kind of guy. He's really good. Um, you, you may know him from adverts uh, where it was like, um, uh, was it uh, chips, chips? But uh, this is not going to work. It's got to be uh, chips, <laughs> it's chips. Is that what you mean? No, not that one. It was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how did it go? It's like, uh, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Good luck, my baby. It's wonderful. I dream of you. Chips, chips. Uh, uh, I know, it's wonderful. He just sort of uh, found a bunch of English terms that he liked the sound of and put them into a chorus. Uh, But there's some other songs of his which are truly staggering. Um, But I love, you know... uh, What do I love? Well, I love Randy, and I love... uh, Noel Coward and um, Tom Lehrer. And you can hear all uh, of that in, yeah. in the Age of Duckworth Lewis. Lewis yeah. the Duckworth Lewis is so it's it's so musical. You're right. It's operetta is right. Uh, you did a storming version of Noel Coward's "Been to a Marvelous Party" <laughs> on that that terrific record that Neil Tennant put together. Oh, yeah, Twentieth yeah. Century yeah. Blues or whatever it's called. That's called. Remember, yeah. That really divided the nation. That did one. it? Yeah. Um, what, I that particular arrangement because uh, you know we'd just sort of come off the back of about three uh, chart 
hits, and um, they decided to, you know, do this exclusive thing on the breakfast show on Radio One. You know, Divine Comedy's new single. What do you think? <laughs> oh, really? And then they played "I've Been to a Marvelous Party," which is just insanity. You know, it's like we do. Uh, I can't play it before no, you no, ask. No. Uh, yeah. You know, the actual original sort of. Uh, first verse, you know, with uh, I've been to my marvellous party. And then go into stomping hardcore rave music. And literally, they thought we'd lost it. Um, you know, <laughs> Did most, the nation vote? Most, uh, well, it generally came back with a resounding, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> you see, isn't that kind of bound to happen? If you, was, play, you play something yeah. to the nation and say, what do you think? But you're going to get negative You're inviting negative you playing things to the nation at that time of the morning. Mm. It's also a bad idea. They're grumpy. Just you got play out it at 10 at night. With I, I, I was something I'd never heard before. Yeah. I, I was yeah. thinking this last night. I, d- I didn't see the Olympic mascots until this morning, but yesterday they were unveiled, yesterday evening, weren't yeah. they? And Five Live, I was listening to, we're all over it, you know, Twitter and let us know what you think. <laughs> and you thought, this is only going to go one way. <laughs> it's people kind of immediately condemn whatever it is. You know, they're going to erect a gibbet and uh, fling a noose over it, aren't they? <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the digital market square and start knitting, you know, particularly being British. You know, it's just, it's just the way they're, they're going to go, isn't it? Mm. The funniest so, thing about Marvelous Party was somebody, I remember, uh, texted in saying, it's just a rip-off of Born Slippy by Underworld. <laughs> it's like, yes, tell we that know, that's the joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a fantastic record, if anybody... I think it's the best track on that album, which oh, is thanks. a good album. I really... It yeah. pops up on my iPod all the time, and I, 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 always, I always see it through. Somebody else has been asking about, was it Lady of a Certain Age inspired by a, a particular person? Um, I... Uh, I wrote that initially. I started writing it for Jane Birkin, who wanted a song off me, and uh, which was a great honour. Uh, but after a, a verse, I realised I'm sort of writing it about someone like her rather than you know something she could sing. So I, I wrote another one for her and kept going on this. Um, <clears throat> I th- I'd been reading Noel Coward's diaries, uh, and you know there was lots of t- uh, chat about sort of being yachting to Capri with, uh, you know, the Guinnesses and, you know, these wealthy sort of uh, playboys and people of, of, of that era. And um, also, apart from that knowledge, I am... Um, she really reminds me of some of the people that my mother knew, you know. <laughs> there was a, a particular friend of my mum's uh, who would, you know, roll up in a, a Triumph Spitfire with the headscarf and the big shades, yes. you know? Oh, brilliant. And her name was Peggy, you know? Yes. Uh, and so I, I kind of know these people, to be honest. But no, it's not one specific person. That would be awful. I'm just trying to imagine Jane Birkin's reaction if you said, here's the song I want you to sing. It's called <laughs> Woman of a Certain Age. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to go down well. Not going to go down well at all. Um, what's, your, what's your particular favourite of this, uh, this new record? Oh, I remind love them all. As my children. I love them all. They're all my yeah. children. Exactly. I, I don't want to annoy the others. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but, be offended. But, um, I mean, the complete banker is very current, and I, I, I like the reaction that it gets from people, I have to say. Do you want to play that? If you want me to. I don't know we how do it's going to sound much. on this uh, jobby. Shall I hold it? Because it was okay. wobbling. Terribly. Okay, I'll it hold it. Hold this one. helping. Oh, good grief. Yeah, yeah, right it's right. making me nervous, but anyway... Ten billion quid 
Why'd you look so glum? Was it something I did? So I caused a second great depression. What can I say? I guess I got a bit carried away. If I say I'm sorry, will you give me the money? Well, that's just me, the complete banker in a black Bentley. Sweet Samantha riding next to me. Oh, how I hanker for the good old days. When I was free, the complete banker in my Armani, before the rancor and disharmony. Well, money makes the world go round and round and down the drain. Do you want the next verse? Yes. <laughs> That's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> we, uh, we went to war on the floor of the exchange. To all of us, it was just a big game. But God, I loved it, making a profit from somebody's loss. I never knew exactly whose money it was. And I did not care as long as there was lots for me. The complete banker in a black Bentley. Sweet Samantha riding next to me. Oh, how I hanker for the good old days. When I was free, I'm the complete banker. I'm a conscience free, malignant cancer on society. And one day you'll let your guard down, and I'll come round again. Right. I'm delighted to see you got the word rancor in a song. Is that the first time the word rancor has been in a song? There ought to be a way you can. Uh, it's you amazing can how many rhymes things. I could squeeze out without saying wanker. <laughs> do you have a rhyming dictionary? No, no, you don't that, that's that. cheating. That's awful. Is that really? Oh, that's yeah. cheating. Uh, okay. No, I mean you don't I, just Google synonym. Put the I, word I, really in. I mean, I have a thesaurus just for when my aching brain has given up. You know, snows <laughs> of Hoth. Yeah. <laughs> funnily enough, Hoth doesn't come into it. The, no. the Rogers. <laughs> so, Duckworth Lewis, uh, that you're uh, you're going along to the Ivan Novello with yeah. the hope that it might get the uh, yeah, your best album of the year. People are asking, is there going to be another one? It's a dodgy one. I mean, basically, that album is a wonderfully sort of all-encompassing, you know, uh, beautifully paced... I mean, I hate it to is. say it, but I really like it. It sort of... Uh, it's a, it's, it's, it says everything that we really wanted to say on the subject. So I, unless we do maybe a 2020 EP... You know, yes. <laughs> perhaps so no perhaps second singles. Yeah. yeah, but that is be really no the test match. Yes. Yeah, that is the five-day test. Of, right. Of the, but you know, you can have a test series, so we'll think about it. And people are asking whether you and Thomas could together, you know, apply yourselves to some other subject area. Mm. I don't think it would be a sport uh, because cricket is about the only sport that seems to have that sort of wealth of uh, imagery and in, insane terminology. You right. know, and arcane and archaic references. Uh, but um, maybe, you know, we could... I'd like to do something like, you know, the history of the world in 12 songs or something like that, you know? It's, it's something really An ambitious stupid. project. 
yeah. <laughs> it, did, it did suit your voice and, and uh, your sensibilities, that kind of candy-striped marquee yeah. image <laughs> of, of, of uh, football, uh, the, the, sorry, yeah. cricket era of, of Edwardian times. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the, the spirit of the album is born out of just how much fun we have together. You know, it, we're great mates. And, uh, you know, it was literally, we were in the pub, we'd had a few too many, we were on to the Jägermeisters, and it was like, <laughs> wouldn't it be really funny if we made an entire album about cricket you know nobody would buy it and it's complete you know i don't understand what's happened since really how very rare it is that uh, ideas over the jägermeister ever <laughs> proved, proved to be still a good idea in the morning it's remarkable and, and then six months later you're at sort of uh, you know cricket dinners with the with the yeah. with the good and great sort of being, being, being lauded you know but that it's is wonderful. one of the most uh, that image is burned onto my retina for for eternity who were you with i remember you, know. you talking about it well, I mean, you know, the uh, Mervyn King, the governor of the Bank of England, was uh, actually Thomas told told uh, his dad that Mervyn King was there, and he said, "Great darts player, great." Darts, you could do. Yeah, darts is a possible one. Snooker is a possible one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, there is that sort of up to the hockey would be a good name for a song or something like that. But then, you know, you have terrible. Uh, songs like 147, That's My Idea of Heaven from uh, <laughs> Hurricane Higgins back in the day. Yeah. Well, so look that one out. Um, and snooker loopy nuts away, of course. Of course, yes. Me and him um, and him and me. Him and him and that's, that's a good line. <laughs> I'm going to be snookering you tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was Mike Bat, I think, who wrote that for It could well have been. The Hunting of the Snark. I hope we're writing these down. Well, look, thanks very much, it Neil, was a pleasure. for coming Thank in. You for having uh, me. You're off to Thank your you for letting me play this marvellous instrument. This marvellous instrument. Yes. <laughs> Casio. <laughs> I was in Brussels yesterday, and they had the most a tremendous, like, full-length concert Beckstein Grand, and it was like it was like playing little stars out of heaven. You know? Wow. So this is, so this is the other end of the spectrum. Other end of the cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming along. Fantastic. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. This podcast is brought to you by The Word magazine, media partner of Latitude Festival 2010. For more details, go to www.latitudefestival.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 